<laughs> so, and the best thing was we were watching Department S this morning, and I tell you, right out of the gate, Peter Wingard doing that Jason King thing, he's dropping in you in those left and right and quoting Oscar Wilde and commenting on the drapery and the furniture and people's clothes and whatever the hell. So I'm like, wow. The best is the first couple episodes. You keep seeing him, like, lounging around in bed with Joel Fabiani in his little tidy, like, bikini panties and stuff. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, yeah. It's so many, yeah. like, he's, like, putting it out there, like, hint, hint, hint. <laughs> you always knew he was special when, what was that, Night of the Screaming Eagle? What was that movie? Oh, well, like, Burn Witch Burn. Burn Witch Burn, yeah. You always knew he was special cause, because he was theatrical. He was one, one of those British actors who did a lot, ton of stage, and, you know, projected out to the back. Mm-hmm. But he was, you know, it's funny. He was dark and swarthy. He was like a combination of O'Toole and Burton and, mm-hmm. and probably someone else. He was just, he was so... Yeah, because he got darker than those two. And yet he's more likable than either of them. Yeah, sure. But it was just funny because for the time period, you know, obviously all this stuff was still... I think it was still illegal in England or just became legal in England to be homosexual. And uh, he was really putting the innuendos out there like, okay, flashing red lights, rainbows over the top here. Get the hint. <laughs> but, of course, they're playing him up like he's a ladies' man and all that stuff. Wow. Yeah, it's a fun show. Well, anyway, man down. Man down. Speaking of which... <laughs> Speaking of which, this is a manly man. <laughs> Who does ballet? Uh, anyway. You're listening to Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine. You're such a guy to all things wild, wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Tonight... Jean-Claude Van Damme, The Muscles from Brussels, on the new and improved Third Eye Cinema Weird Scenes Network, now on Podbean. So, good evening, and welcome to the first episode of the ninth season of Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine. You're such a guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell, join me, Doc Savage, and my co-host, Mr. Lewis Paul, the maven of sleaze and virago of vituperativeness. we got to figure out another one for you, too. Yes, please do. (laughs) (laughs) It's getting old. Yeah. As we discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. So, tonight... From a local child prodigy in karate and competitive bodybuilding to one of the first and most influential kickboxing film stars, tonight we talk a man who supposedly inspired the entire Mortal Kombat series, whose oft-referenced but seldom-imitated balletic approach to full-contact martial arts is positively legendary. Starring in a number of films whose tropes were copied and repeated in other, often lesser films and series within the nascent kickboxing genre, the futuristic cyborg style, the bloodsport kickboxer, fight your way through increasingly dangerous proto-MMA challenges to avenge a fallen brother-slash-friend template, the time-traveling indoor fighting video game crossover, JCVD seemed positively unstoppable for a full decade before lawsuits and personal issues brought the man down for the count. Only recently starting to regain some of his former standing and respect among fans, joining us as we delve into the rather bipolar career of Belgium's best, the truly non-pareil on du cinéma karaté, the one and only Jean-Claude Van Damme. Week 72, the muscles from Brussels, an evening with Jean-Claude Van Damme. I'm Doc Savage, and with Mr. Louis Paul. Hello, Louis. Hello, everyone. I, 
I have to say I support this guy, Van Dam, because a lot of a lot of people turn on him. We're probably going to drops a couple of things. He's, he's he made some mistakes. He made some some errors, and then yeah, he did drop off. This guy has had so many periods of rebirth and rebooting that he's actually back on an upswing again. Um, he's two days older than me, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah, he's born October 18th, 1960, so he's actually uh, three days older than me. So he can, he can kick my ass anyway, I'm sure. <laughs> <clears throat> and another thing I want to bring up, he is not – it's funny. I see a lot of people – a lot of reviews, even the retro stuff, always mention him as a short robot. No, he's 5'10". So it's, <laughs> it's, 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 he's three inches shorter than six feet, so the guy's not small, you know. Come on, you know, it's, uh, I think a lot of people, well, he's Van Varenberg, first, he's got the longest fucking name, you know, he's Belgium. Jean-Claude Camille, yes, Francois <laughs> Van Varenberg, and yes, it made a lot of sense to make it Van Damme, you know. <laughs> but I, I, I uh, karate, kickboxing, Muay Thai, Taekwondo, bodybuilding, and again, I started out my vague statement here by saying I'm, I'm one of these guys that support him, you know, because a lot of people turned around and said blah, blah, blah. Van Damme, he does these periods, these five or six year periods where he makes three or four movies a year. Bang, 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 bang. Takes a two year break and then makes five, six movies. Bang, bang, bang. Takes a break. It's almost too much stuff to see. And I, I may have seen more than you have. You probably did for the recent stuff, yeah. But there's some really, really good movies in there. And there's some really, really good performances by him. Like, he's really trying. I mean, he, he he's look, we're talking about a man who was top of the world at some point. And it's a shame he has to be really trying again. But I think he's relaxed enough in himself, in his being that he knows if something comes along and he clicks with it like this which i will mention i don't know if you see it he did this show for amazon prime but he played himself oh john club and johnson yeah yeah, yeah so which I, I was really <laughs> i have to say i was against seeing for some bizarre reason <laughs> in my mind and then one day i'm like I'm tired of fucking netflix with the same 152 movies so i said well I'll watch this. And I enjoyed it so much. And then when I got to the end of the ep the season, I found out that Amazon dropped it. And I'm like, you guys are crazy, right? This is the best thing I saw on Amazon Prime as far as, <laughs> as, far as you know, like their self-generated series. Uh, you know, I'm not saying it was the best thing since sliced spread, but it was really good. He was really good. The support was good. And he got his ass kicked a lot, especially because he was playing him. You know, I can testify to the hatred that came up about him, because I remember I had a friend that, you know, even below Seagal, who's obviously much hated for various reasons, yeah. well-deserved reasons, for some reason, I guess just because he was so big, and he fell much harder. And, yeah. you know, this, this guy would always go on like, yeah, I bet your favorite, because we're talking about all these action stars and all these films that we like, and stuff we talk on the show even, but, you know, mostly kickboxing stars and whatever. Like, yeah, I bet you're, like, a Van Damme fan. <laughs> and it was, like, that kind of a, like, oh, yeah, you know. you're. Hey, you know what? This is a cliche, but, you know, Bogart, Jimmy Cliff, Keith, the harder they fall. Yeah. People, people 
sometimes want somebody to fall hard. Yeah, it's and sometimes people And sometimes people don't want them to get back up. Mm-hmm. And you know what? We did a Schwarzenegger show uh, not too long ago. And after he did collateral damage and, you know, the fucking movie where he allowed himself to be crucified. He thought he was doing <laughs> End something. of days. Yes. I like that movie. It's weird. It's weird. And we discussed that. But people all of a sudden want Arnold to fail. Yes. And, and you know, it's just like, okay. Oddly enough, the only genre superstar of the 80s and 90s who has failed, but still kind of claws his way back up there, even though he does some VOD stuff, is Stallone. Because I was skeptical, but when I saw that Rambo blah, blah, blah trailer for the new one that's coming out, I'm like, oh, this looks rough. So it's, it's possible, you know. Although he just announced Expendables 4. <laughs> you know, if you can do it, if they want to do it, fine. A nice idea would be have... Uh, Van Damme's twin brother, because I thought he was one of the better Expendables villains, <laughs> and we'll discuss that. Let's go right to our Jean-Claude Van Damme show. Okay, but yeah, what I was going to say is that the one thing that I do like about Van Damme, that, mm. which is also one of the things that the guy mocked about, like, you know, the ballet thing, which is, okay, yes, it was part of his thing. You can see it in there. there was but this I don't whole mock big... that. I don't mock that. But if you remember, there was this whole big thing, like, oh, did he really have titles, or is he really just like a poser? It's not true. He did have titles. He did do stuff. He does huh. martial arts as well as having his ballet background, but it does come off a little bit fey, I guess, if you're going to look at it in those kind of terms. Hey, but, you know what? You know what? I, I Seriously? I give guys props who do ballet. Yeah, because it takes balls to I, do that. It's like, I don't give a shit. It's I like, don't care if you're gay or you're straight or you're confused. <laughs> no, seriously, I'm not mocking anyone. You know, it's like, there are people like, I'm not sure where I'm going. It's okay. You could do a ballet. I fucking can never do ballet. Exactly. It takes a lot of discipline. And, you know, I look at it personally, like the guy that, which like I used to be, it's like, I don't care. I'll carry a pocketbook for you. Who the fuck's going to say anything? <laughs> you know, yeah. shit. Right. So yeah. there you go. I mean, you have the balls to do that and not be afraid of it. Not, oh, I'm going to hide this in the past. No, it's like, okay, yeah, I did this. All right, here's the segue of why I think ballet is cool. So uh, back in the 70s, late 70s, I knew this guy who came from Texas, big, tall Texan guy, blonde here. And he got admitted to Juilliard and then the ABT, the American Ballet Theater. He worked for me and <laughs> it was funny. So he got in a couple of the big things at the Met, you know, and the, like the uh, like the, the background group of people, which is pretty good if you're, you know, a ballet student. He got really pissed because he had a thing for, what was her name? Kelsey something or other. Kelsey something or other. She was a famous ballet dancer at the time. And it's what's wrong. Well, I think she likes Barishnikov. He's going to guest in his performance. I'm like, yeah. So? You, that's a big you know name. Is, <laughs> I'm like, you know what this is about, right? <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, but but, but I thought she liked me. And I'm like, look, dude. <laughs> he's Barishnikov. Yeah. Yep. You got to turn <laughs> so, that down for some no name, even if you like him? I mean, come on. Right. So you... You know, if she likes you, you like her, and she really doesn't like you, it's unrequited. It doesn't matter. It's just go with it. Yeah. He eventually went back to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have no idea what happened to him. I don't want to, you know, who knows. But Van Damme, I think the most winning thing about him is probably what saves yes. him and what you see in something like the series you mentioned before, which is that he yes. always had a sense of humor about himself. I mean, he's yeah. got that boyish charm, number one. 
But even so, he's like, okay, yeah, I fucked up. Oh, well. <laughs> Here I am. I'm trying. What are you going to do? <laughs> and and oh, yeah. that's, that's a real – that's a survivor thing. That That's good. And it's not even like a negative, like, oh, I'm going to be so tough. It's like, no, no. It's like, all right, well, all right, I fucked up. So what? Can we move on? <laughs> I'm not perfect. i got feet of clay. And don't you? So I respect that. I really do like that. Yeah, about and him. he's still with Gladys Portuguese. <laughs> yes. For the, yes, uh, didn't he marry the second time? Was yeah, they married a second time, and uh, we'll, we'll get to that. All right. So um, again, this is a man who had a much more video game character, and supposedly was the impetus for the entire game, according to some sources, created after him, which is Johnny Cage from the Mortal Kombat series. Besides starting karate lessons at age ten and competing nationally by age fifteen, and taking Mr. Belgium in a local bodybuilding competition, he further studied ballet from the ages of sixteen to twenty-one. And you know, you laugh, but it's it's not. An, easy thing to do i mean it certainly ensures that you're loose and limber between all those kicks and spins and whatever the hell else we've spoken to folks who were controversial before whether for political shifts of opinion or for past actions and preferences that went from a shrug of the shoulders at the time to become positively demonized in today's more uptight political social climate but seldom were they controversial in respect to the value of their very career like this guy is this is a guy who's had his martial arts credentials widely questioned who went from idolized to greatly mocked in a short period and to this day walks some middle ground between greatly beloved and laughed at and just look at this 1988 he got a golden raspberry award worst new star for blood sport he also got one in 98 for a worst screen couple with dennis robin in double theme he got nominated three times for MTV Movie Awards throughout the 90s for Double Impact, Nowhere to Run, and Hard Target as Most Desirable Male, whatever that means. And, you know, it's like, okay, well, he's the worst. He's great. He's bad. He's good. Even while he was popular. You know, on the one hand, he's not despised as like a sleazebag and a fat guy past his prime like Seagal is, nor is he ghetto-wise and effectively ignored these days like other once ubiquitous kickboxing headliners like Don the Dragon Wilson, Billy Blanks, or even Cynthia Rothrock, but mm. he's not in the level of somebody like a Schwarzenegger or Blanchard or Stallone either. Even so, chances are you mention his name, and just about anybody's going to start belting out impressions of his mangled francophone English before mentioning a few personal favorites from his heyday. You know, Street Fighter, Kickboxer, Time Cop, even Hard Target or Double Impact being the most likely culprits. And personally, while I say this with a bit of a knowing laugh and a shitty grin on my face, I do get a kick out of Van Damme and his films. At least the ones that I cared about way back in the day. So you can count me, apparently you as well, on the side of, yeah, I guess you can sort of call me a fan without being too much of a stretch. You know, the guy always looks impressive on screen, and that counts for a lot when it's not down to wire work and CG cheating. So yeah. So he was an uncredited extra in one film in 79, you know, local Belgian thing that nobody ever heard of. But <laughs> perhaps it's telling that the man's been through four wives with five marriages between them. You're really surprised that his very first role was as gay karate man in a film called yeah. Monaco Forever. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, maybe there's a correlation there. I don't know. Anyway, after that, he actually in the, the chorus, as you'd say, which is kind of what you're talking about, the ballet thing, of Breaking, cheesy, very 80s duo of movies with the Shabadoo ranks. <laughs> yeah, I'm, st- I'm, still, I'm still amazed occasionally when I walk around, I see people breakdancing. I'm like, yeah, hey, weird? that's cool. That's, that's kind of retro. That's a retro even for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, did I ever tell you? We've got a friend. Actually, he's like a, a friend of a friend. He's like a cousin of this one guy and best friend of this other fellow that we deal with. And he, he used to be a b-boy back in the day. Okay, fine. You know, okay. I was I listened to rap back in the early 80s, so I get that. I was never at this level. But this guy would go around and do, like, breakdancing or whatever the hell else and dance-offs and whatever. In the streets, you know, they lay down their mat. They have the big radio. They find another guy that's there doing it. Okay, I'm going to throw down. Watch this. Okay, can you beat that? All right. And yes, this was a real thing. They didn't just do this in the movies, people. If you're old enough, you'll remember this. Uh, <laughs> so what was his name? Remember, he's like a white guy, right? Spook. 
and he has no idea that this is like everybody else is like what what was your name <laughs> that was his handle he went by and he, he actually made a comment like yeah everybody really seemed to hate us you know we weren't that great or like yeah i wonder why they hated you <laughs> so anyway 1986 his first big role as the baddie in no retreat no surrender so after a sandwich from the craft trade gig as an extra in the hilarious break-in, Van Damme gets the heavy role in what is probably the very first kickboxing film series, Curry Ewan's No Retreat, No Surrender. Apparently he gave too much full contact in his fight scenes, which I guess could be an issue if you're dealing with actual actors and not fighters turned actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this would happen a couple times. There's a more infamous thing that happens later. He's pretty goofy looking with a slick back hair and white pimp suit as, wait for it, a Russian thug in this yawn-inducing but really, really 80s slice of Gruyere about some obnoxious Bo Hopkins lookalike with Fred Schneider's voice who runs the dojo and insists, I won't fight karate if not to be used aggressively when some midget mobster and Van Damme show up to buy him out. Three seconds later, Van Damme's broken the guy's leg, the doges are for sale, and the film's moved to Seattle. Right from the move-in, his overrunner's son, who's our de facto hero of the film, has made good buddies with a local black kid who proceeds to turn a practice session into a breakdance competition, complete with the worst out-of-meter, non-rhyming rapping you've ever heard in your life, and enemies of this enormous comic relief fat kid with a southern accent. We're supposed to find this guy threatening. Despite his stuffing his face with candy, he actually smears it all over his face like a child all the time. And a goofy slapstick chase sequence. Oh, and he also makes regular visits to Bruce Lee's grave and talks to him. So the two of them sign up for local karate lessons, but the fat kid is supposedly a student there. Yeah, between heart attacks. And bullshits the guy into bullying them by claiming they're dirty fighting bullies who say Seattle karate sucks, even though they just signed up for lessons there. So after he comes home with a shiner, his father takes away all his equipment set up in the garage, which leaves the kid hallucinating that some Bruce Lee imitator, actually the one used in both Game of Death Patrick films, shows up in the middle of the night to teach him how to use kung fu for self-defense only. Yeah, this was insane, and as closely preaches as a Nancy Reagan speech, and he keeps training under Bruce Wannabe here until he becomes a real contender, not only better than his local rivals, but enough to beat the shit out of Van Damme when he happens to show up as the big gun at a local competition. Can you believe that this fucked up drug trip take on the Harati Kid was directed by Corey Yoon, who gave us, right around the same time, mind, Yes, Madam, and Writing Wrongs, and later The Transporter and So Close? Of course, he did also deliver this similarly hilarious Dead or Alive live action, but seriously, this film is bizarre. Oh, it's very strange. Actually, I had the opportunity to see this in the theater. Wow. But it showed up on VHS really quickly. So that's the first time I saw it, and I was like, wow. This, I, I pretty much had the same exact reaction that you did. It was just like, <laughs> I, I very much not different from yours. And yeah. I was just like, but I did notice Van Damme, because, you know, he, he struck me. You know, so here's the thing about Van Damme we didn't tap into in our intro, as weird as it was, <laughs> uh, that he he appeals he appeals to guys in a different way, you know, like, he's attractive. There's no, there's, there's, what, don't laugh. No, I'm serious. I, I like, hey, I like him. No, I'm just saying that Van Damme is, is one of the few guys in this period actually was very good looking. So, like, he, no, I didn't want to blow him or anything. I'm just saying, no, I just say. He was very attractive in his very Euro way. You know, like almost like a Delon, young Delon. You know, like okay, I can hear you, that. it was like that's you know, guys will say, Yeah, that guy's good looking, you know. <laughs> oh, people say that about Tom Cruise. It doesn't mean like, you know, whatever. Anyway, I'm not going there. But what I'm saying is 
Van Damme was very attractive and snake-like and slinky and still villainous in this movie. So it was very interesting. This picture's all over the place, and you pretty much described it. I can't add anything more to what you said. Yeah. The only picture I can think of that's sort of like it is Double Dragon. Or maybe The Last Dragon, the Barry Gordy one. <laughs> no, I, I, I think it's unique. Uh, you know, Corey Ewan, you know, he did all those lovely... You know, folks, we, we were discussing Michelle Yeoh's show at, at one point, but it's really hard to find a lot of this stuff. Nowadays, a lot of it hasn't come out as like we had hoped it would. And what we have to work with is not the prime of the prime. And maybe one day we will. But uh, Corey had done a lot of those movies with her and Cynthia Rothrock already mentioned earlier. The funny thing was, so Predator, the Schwarzenegger big movie, was in production, and they wanted someone who had specific movement capabilities. So Jean-Claude actually was in the suit in the jungle. For a lot of the full-on, you know, non-CGI portions of the shooting. Yep. He was the predator, people. (laughs) He was the predator, yes. And they decide, I guess the director decided at some point, you know, it's not really working. We're going to do something else. So he was replaced by by someone else, and he decided to do, I guess what they called it back then, um, in the pre-CGI days, was something called pre-viz, which was a combination of physical effects and CGI. But but you could see nowadays, there is footage of a young Jean-Claude Van Damme, you know, in that damn Predator suit, slightly different looking, but, you know, still it's it. You know, because he had all this training, you know, the balletic training and all this different martial arts training. So movement is what was unique to that. But I guess they, they look at the rushes and it wasn't what they wanted. But he came back with a vengeance in. Yeah, in Bloodsport. Actually, I want to say on that thing, if you want an example of what we're talking about here, look at the Friday the 13th series early on. I mean, eventually they went with Kane Hodder because he was so, again, physical and rage-filled in his motions and yet deliberate. But early, they had different people. They had, like, a fat guy doing it for one point. They had a Vietnam vet doing it at one point. And there was very different approaches. If you look at, I think it's two and three in particular, you will see, and one of them has two different guys in the suit in the same movie. And you can tell which one is which just by the way they move. There's a specific subset of things you can do even if nobody sees your face and you don't have any lines. So, yeah, I could see how they would pill them down for something like that. So, anyway, Bloodsport. It's actually his first starring role as, like, a lead. So, based on what appears to be an entirely apocryphal barroom post by a fellow named Frank Ducks, who would later pop up to cause Van Damme some legal problems, this is Van Damme's breakthrough role as a guy who, as a teen, broke into a ninja's house, was dumb enough to get caught, and winds up getting trained as a ninja by the surprisingly kind-hearted victim of this stunt. Apparently, he grows up to join the army, but he still wangles an invite to the, quote, Kumite, a secret MMA event in downtown Hong Kong. So now the army's looking for him, which means no less than Forrest Whitaker's on his ass, and he makes a buddy out of Lilo Zato wannabe Don Gibb, who's the big biker dude from the Revenge of the Nerd films, jocks, they still call me Bruce, and Meatballs too. Apparently, Van Damme slash Dukes has the Dim Mac, that's right. If you remember those old comic book ads from Count Dante, the deadliest man alive, who'd teach you the death touch if you just sent away for his book? That's the Dim Mac, and Van Damme's got it. It's a great film, right? The big bad here is Chinese Hercules and Bruce Lee Betty himself, Bolo Young, who puts Gibb in the hospital during their match and tries to pull a Mr. Fuji on Van Damme during theirs. But you'll know who will win the day in the end. It's basic to the point of being template, but it's enjoyable enough if you like this stuff. And it's fun to see Gibb and Young staring the stage with a rather poorly coiffed Van Damme. 
Strangely, it's directed by the guy behind one of my all-time favorite Filipino horrors, Bloodthirst, a fellow named Newt Arnold. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, you brought that up, Newt Arnold. So this was obviously partially or mostly filmed in the Philippines. Not something we didn't know much many years later. You know, so the Frank Dukes thing, yeah, it's, it was a real-life character. Yeah, this would turn up later to be an issue for Van Damme. But from, I would say if we went from no retreat, no surrender, right to Bloodsport, suddenly he's starring in something. It's like, hey, good for him. You know, it's enjoyable. It's also cookie cutter. You know, this was a thing at the time. You, cookie cutter, what, what is he talking about? They're, back in the days, they might still have them. You know, like if you were an amateur chef, I'm going to make cookies with the wife, with the boyfriend, whatever. <laughs> you would go to these high, you know, Bed Bath Beyond or whatever places no longer exist, uh, and you would buy these shapes, and you would put, like, your mixture in the shape, and you put in the oven, like, oh, you made star cookies, how nice. And, you know, it's like, it's already there, it's formula, you just pour the mixture in. And by, by meaning cookie cutter kind of movie or role, it was a format. Post Enter the Dragon, post Bruce Lee, we're looking for something different, and yet samey, because we all want to be entertained. Van Damme started to be, as evidenced by No Retreat, No no Surrender, that role he had in there. He's definitely a face, and he has presence. So they put him in Bloodsport, and you know what? It worked. Yeah, there was some issues. It's not the greatest thing since sliced cheese, dude. It goes again. Well, before I said bread. But then he shows up on Black Eagle, which might have been done before this. A really cheesy, low-budget picture. Remember Black Eagle? I actually don't. That's one I haven't seen. Yeah, it was it was done for like an offshoot company. I think even the the video of it was like from a label, like uh, extra cheese label. I don't know. Just really <laughs> cheesy flicks. Really <laughs> cheesy flicks or something. I don't know. Well, it was just it was a, a low-budget kind of thing. He might have done before Bloodsport. Hey, everybody's got to eat. But then he hooked up with Albert Pyon. Yes. Sword and Sorcerer fame uh, for Cyborg. Yeah. Look, so here, 1989, he goes to Cyborg. He has Gibson Rickenbacker. And he also yeah. did some editing. Now, Van Damme had this weird thing that apparently he would sneak into the studio or something or just you know butt his way in and try to edit the films to showcase more of himself. Like I said, he could be an asshole, which is part of the problem. Because he's like, oh, you don't want to see these other things. They don't care about the storyline and the drama and the leading lady or whatever. They just want to see more of me and me kicking ass. Well, yeah, it's an action film, so he's got a point, but... Really? <laughs> so you can see why there's bad blood right from the beginning. Well, all that is, is also hearsay. And, and I mean, it's been reported by a number of people. I've actually never heard a director say that. He actually done that. I know he's done a lot of fight choreography. But I, I agree with you, though, what you just said. I, I have seen that a number of times where he shows up as an, an editor. So I don't know. <laughs> So anyway, nobody was expecting this. And all things considered, you think this would be a whole lot more entertaining than it actually is. Van Damme joins forces with sci-fi schlockmeister Albert Pion for what is very likely the first futuristic slash sci-fi kickboxing film, Cyborg. It's yet another 80s post-apocalyptic scenario. Gee, I wonder why everyone was sure the bomb was going to drop any day with Reagan and his little red button baiting the commies on a daily basis. They found an apparently abandoned stretch of highway overpass to set the entire film under. Everyone's named after guitars. Obviously, his name's Gibson Rickenbacker. The 
headband, he has Fender Tremolo, there's a Marshall Strat, you get the idea. And they're all dressed somewhere between Mad Max and Gay Night at the Disco. Cannon and Pyum were in the process of working on a sequel to Dolph Lundgren's amusing Master of the Universe live action, and a Spider-Man film, but couldn't afford the licenses all of a sudden. So to salvage the costumes, sets, and location reservations they had already booked for these two movies that never happened, they had the man dash out this slapdash script more or less overnight, literally, and it shows. The entire film was about traveling from Georgia to New York to get some info on a computer back to Atlanta. I guess the internet got wiped out, but computers still work locally, don't ask me. There's no plot. There's not a lot of dialogue. There's even less action. Even the costumes suck. It's like a fanfic short on YouTube extended to film length, only then it'd be better. Van Damme wound up in trouble yet again here for his full contact on actors. Apparently, he wound up getting sued after he poked some guy's eye out with a prep knife. So, yeah, of all the Van Damme films that I have somewhere in the collection, this one was like, yeesh. <laughs> yeesh. <laughs> uh, it's, it's still fun and a bizarre, like, wow, they really did shit like this back in the 80s? And this is the late 80s, too, folks. This isn't like... You'd be better off with Rollerblade Warriors taken by force. At least that was fun. <laughs> oh, there was a Rollerblade Warriors, wasn't there? Yes, too. there was. Kathleen Kilmont. I saw this in a theater. <laughs> and, and, and you know, it looks a lot better on the big screen. But when you watch it on video... <laughs> I, back in those days, you know, like this stuff show up on VHS video, and you were rented from cool mom and pop stores. They had these big. Do you remember though? They had those big Christmas lights, and they'd be really noisy, like because the Christmas lights were no colors. Uh, anyway, I remember. <laughs> anyway, uh, mom and pops really, you know, action movies really rented well for them. You know, and shortly after I saw this in the Bay Ridge, Brooklyn movie theater, it showed up for rental. I said, well, I want to watch it again, and. I thought it played a lot better on the big screen, so to speak, <laughs> than it did on TV. Do you remember mom and pops were always kind of disgusting? Like, sometimes if you're really unlucky, you find them some really dirty ones, like in New York City. They'd be like roaches and shit. One time my friend wanted to buy a tape that had a dead roach, and I'm like, don't buy that. <laughs> but Well, no, the only thing I remember about mom and pops is like, what's that back room? You want to you wanna go back there? <laughs> yeah. Is, is that like the bathroom? No, we have other movies back there. Yeah. Like, what other movies? Go ahead. Go back there. So there'd be like swinging doors like in a in a TV Western, TV movie series, Western movie series, like a saloon swinging doors. So you go back there. And there'd be all this porno. Yep. And, and weird like, looking guys in there with big eyes. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> or, or suddenly, it'd be empty if it's okay. But yeah, there'd be weird looking guys. But the only lady in there working was a grandma. Yes. So what are you going to do? Because the whole thing, the gig back then was bring them the video box, right? And they were bringing the tape, and then you were renting up. So like, Joanne does 40 guys bukkake. Can I get this for the weekend, please? <laughs> yo, it's, yo. I, I One of these places we went to, I think it was a dollar video, they actually had like a dirty old shower curtain that was your entry into this place. A curtain? Wow. <laughs> and they had no. signs up in front saying, whoever that pervert is that's stealing our fucking cases, you better bring them back or some shit. Cut it out. You know, you want to go whack off, <laughs> take the movie with you at least. Oh, they would take, yeah. They, they would were stealing the cases, cases yes. <laughs> oh, that's crazy, crazy, crazy. Uh, 
But yeah, uh, I mean, days of video. The yeah. floors were always bad. I mean, they had like these cheap ass carpets that were bubbling up, and you have like seams between them you could trip on. There was water damage all the time, and it smelled musty. My favorite one, they had this place a couple towns over, and they had this cheap dot matrix printout that somebody did. You know how when you get these anybody plays video games, you ever look at those walkthroughs online, and sometimes the kids yeah. will try to get cute and they'll make you know they put a bunch of A's or something to make the character's face or something out of it. So yeah, that's what they did, like these cheap designs like that of Frankenstein and Dracula, whatever. It was like the House of Horror, which is their back room with whatever. <laughs> oh, it's crazy, crazy, crazy. Oh, stuff. I used to love that stuff. And you never knew what the hell a movie was because they'd always retitle them. And they had these big clamshell boxes that didn't give you any descriptions either. Uh, you know what? I'll admit to this. There were some clamshell boxes that were so lowered, I didn't even want to rent them out. Yeah, that's true. I was like, I was like, is this like some really scuzzy real life fucking torture dungeon yes. stuff? I saw stuff later on in life in the DVD days. I'm like, oh, that was it? That's all that was? Wow, what value yeah. did? Because I was right. avoiding yeah. his shit. <laughs> yeah, brother, I agree with you. Because like, oh, is that what that was? Because back in the days, I, I you know, it, was, it wasn't the store owner. You know, it was like no, it was the, the company. distributor. And I was like, you know, or Sun City Video or some really low-budget company. You were like, oh, I don't want this. This looks rough. He was like, what kind of sleaze bags were they trying to appeal to? I don't know. <laughs> I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to write this shit out. This uh-huh. looks like, you know, below me, which is just saying a lot. <laughs> and then true. I found out later, it was like, oh, is that what it was? Yeah, it's never <laughs> anything. It's like, it's okay. Oh, this is something I like. This is fine. Really? Okay. <laughs> All right, so then we went to Kickboxer, a really big hit for him. Yes, it was, and he was screenwriter and fight choreographer on this one, too. So it's another film in the Bloodsport mode, but it's a big step up. This one was actually so big, it was one of the three top films in the U.S. in theatrical. And, of course, it was a staple on HBO and VHS thereafter. I said Bloodsport made his name as a lead before, but this is actually the film that made him something of a household name. Van Damme's the wimpier little brother of a kickboxing champ who's living the high life. He's all full of himself. He's landing the chicks wherever he goes. Unfortunately, he gets badgered into heading to Thailand to fight some nut job with a giant Q out of some Shore Brothers Kung Fu film who actually cripples him. So it's not like No Retreat, No Surrender where the guy winds up with a limp. I mean, full-on Stephen Hawking shit. Naturally, a man wants revenge. So they rouse the sympathy of an ex-Special Forces man who brings Van Damme out into the middle of the jungle to train with an old Muay Thai teacher. And from here on, it's typical Kung Fu film business. He doesn't take on pupils, but he's impressed by the kid's drive and latent ability. There's a love interest with the guy's cute but annoying niece, a grueling training program, and some hilariously bad dancing with two local cuties at a dive bar. There results in a huge bar fight with Van Damme against everyone. You have to see Van Damme's dancing. He's awful. It's all set up by the sensei to get our man into a death match with the guy who crippled his brother. And one rushed onslaught of brutality that includes an applied rape, a dog killing, and the kidnapping of his brother aside, and that all happens inside like 10 minutes. You get the expected happy ending. Van Damme was never one for series, unlike many of his action and kickboxing film peers. So the next two films, which were also very good, were actually my man Sasha Mitchell in the lead. They're and all four, and conveniently, they're on the same two cheapy DVDs. One of them has Van Damme's original and the first Mitchell one, alongside Jet Li's entertainingly silly superhero film Black Mask. The other one just has Kickboxer 3 and 4, but I would definitely recommend them. It all wraps up way too fast, given how long a build we sat through, but there's no question it's an entertaining film of its type, enlivened by a lot of pretty Asian bit players in various stages of undress. Yes, you get at least one tie bar sequence, people. 
terrible. And Van Damme's <laughs> stiff, nearly incomprehensible delivery, terrible dancing, and yes, likable personalities definitely enliven matters. So I definitely recommend the, the series one to four. Oh, yeah. Really good. I, I enjoyed it. I also enjoyed the reboot that did later on where he had a, a smaller part. Well, in the first reboot, he had a co-starring part. And they had more of a cameo in the third room. We'll, we'll get to that later. So um, next up, like 1990, Lionheart. Again, he's also the screenwriter and choreographer on this one. Van Damme makes the jump from canon to universal with decidedly mixed results. The baddie from Kickboxer and perennial villain Brian Thompson. There's some good stories about him in my Cynthia Rothrock and Nico Masaraka's interviews on Third Eye, by the way. If you want to check those out. Join him in this rather bleh, mid-period Seagal-style pop boiler, where he's a defector from the French Foreign Legion who discovers his brother was set on fire by some local drug dealers and died. So he's on the run from the Legion and the cops, winds up in some New York crack house squad doing paid street fights, where he's the only white face in sight. I've actually been in that situation many a time myself, but sitting with bands or at ghetto barbecues, not in a fight thing, and trying to earn enough for a ticket out west where his family is. Somehow he works his way into a bi-coastal street-level MMA run by some really butch broad who fixes fights for her own enrichment. There's some hallmark horse shit about his brother's wife and kid. He wins the big fight he was supposed to lose. Butchie gets busted. Van Damme gets handed over to the Legion. But contrary to everything you ever heard or read about them, they're actually big softies in the French Foreign Legion, and they let him go running back to his extended family and his shifty brother who trailed along with him since New York. Uh, yay? Yeah, this just shows why you can't trust a major studio to do anything right. They see which way the wind's blowing. They try to get in this whole exploitation kickboxing B-movie thing, but they have zero feel for the stuff and no idea what makes it work. They get the broad strokes right, but everything in between is totally fucked. They've been better off throwing this one to Corman, who had at least given the guy a Don the Dragon Wilson-worthy vehicle. I never cared for this one, and it held up even worse in our recent review for this show. Yeah, actually, Lionheart and the, the next one he did the same year, Death Warrant. Yes. I, I find almost, they're not the same movie, but they're almost interchangeable. It's just weak, weak films, and they could have been much better. The thing that's really interesting to me, so he you know, in 1990, right after Kickboxer, and, you know, certainly an uphill, upbeat, and a certainly a, a career-changing film, he does these two pictures back-to-back, -back, just didn't really do anything for him. Yep. But, right after that, he starts he starts getting on his roll. So, you mentioned Death Warrant. So now they toss Van Damme over like a football to MGM, who believes in this project so much, they take a script from a college kid. Seriously. Take two parts dango and cash, a bit of the 20th century intro to Demolition Man, and make it really, really bad. Then throw in fucking Benson, Robert Guillaume, and the troll-like principal from Buffy, Armin Shimmerman, some nonsense about organ trafficking, and a super lame serial killer whose idea of getting back at the guy who put him in prison in the first place is to rat him out as an undercover cop. Yep, apparently the prison's being used to harvest cons for body parts, which get sold to rich, dissolute fucks to preserve their lives beyond their natural span. What blows my mind is this is actually a thing. Apparently there's a big black market for this shit in Asia. Don't ask me. What a stupid film. Was the serial killer thing even necessary? Is it any fun? Is that goofy Van Damme charm come across in any way, shape, or form whatsoever? Hell, there isn't enough of the usual homoerotic thing going on to get some laughs about. It's just boring and kind of pointless. There's a reason this one's more or less forgotten, even among diehard Van Damme fans. Lesson learned, never buy a script from a schoolboy. Yeah, I mean, the other thing about Van Damme, yeah, thanks for touching on that. It's just too much going on in this movie for what it is. Mm -hmm. Just way too much stuff. And, and I think you just get to the point where, like, all right. And you probably would have thought that, okay, maybe he was a flash in the pan. Then he did Double Impact. 
which I really like. <laughs> so, 1991, he gets a dual role, and he's also the screenwriter for a choreographer again, for Double Impact. Around this time, Van Damme apparently missed out on playing Simon Phoenix in Demolition Man, speaking of which. And I'd actually have loved to see what he did in the role, but there's no question Crazy Wesley Snipes was a much better choice, so I'm glad it didn't happen. But I will be curious to see how that went down. Anyway, now he gets booted from MGM over to Columbia for the next few pictures, which aren't among his best, but definitely have their fans. First, he pulls the Twin Dragons thing, starting as two brothers separated at birth when their family's taken down by the local triads. One's raised in France by the ubiquitous Jeffrey Lewis, who later opens an aerobics slash karate studio, where a guy in ladies aerobics togs can jump from the all-femme dance aerobics class to an all-male karate cast where they all wear bright pink geese <laughs> without anyone batting an eyelash. The other stays in Hong Kong, where apparently becomes more of a sleazy gangster type. For whatever stupid plot mechanic, Louis Van Damme head back to the Pearl of the Orient, where the aerobicizer gets picked up and beaten on multiple times by folks mistaken for a seedier local relative. There's some business about them taking down folks like Bolo Young to get some money owed their family 25 years ago, which is probably why the folks were gunned down in the first place, but it's all one big silly excuse to let Van Damme play fairly poorly, two different guys. About the only reason to watch this one is to see my girl Corey Everson, who all his bodybuilders had a major thing for back in the day, as a vicious, sexy bodyguard and one for very few film roles. She even gets played up as having lesbian tendencies in one rather loaded scene where she pulls a whispery up against the wall full body search of the boring blonde love interest. Usually not one of my things, but fellow Corey fans may be surprised at just how much charge she throws into this. It's nice. I just wish they used her more in a better film than this. Not only does she come off like a hotter Famke Jansen, but like Kiana Tom, who'd also do a rare appearance in the later Van Damme film, by the way. She's got the sort of thighs you know she's going to have a good grip on you to catch my drift. <laughs> she does a package grab that looks more designed for femdom pleasure than pain during her fight with Van Damme near the end of the picture. So, yeah. Corey Everson, definite mm, double impact. Eh. So, what's your take? You obviously liked it more. I, I, yeah, I liked it more because I actually was surprised that what's her game... <sighs> 1991, and they got that thing down pretty good. You know, he's he's playing twins, so he's interacting in the same frame with himself, and <laughs> it, it didn't come out that bad. And you know, you know, this is Van Damme, so you know, a lot lesser actors in quotations could have totally fucking failed. So he actually, I think he did a decent job with it. Uh, it's an oddball cast, you know, Jeffrey Lewis. It's a fun movie. I kind of liked it, and I thought it was much better than it would have turned out to be, and watching it again for the show, I, I realized you know, this isn't that bad. It's entertaining, that's for sure. It's entertaining for sure. He, he has some movies that aren't as such, but, so, yeah, Double Impact Strangely, a fun, entertaining film where Van Damme plays twins. Hey. I had a laugh because you said he interacted in the same frame with himself, and I thought you said something about playing with himself. <laughs> 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 Which would have made sense because he's playing against himself. Uh, but <laughs> I did, hey. Anyway, so, 92, Universal Soldier. Stupid but much beloved film that is what everyone thought Cyborg was going to be. A cheap military take on Robocop, possibly with stretch elements of Terminator as a bonus. Van Damme and of all people, Dolph Lundgren are Vietnam buddies, but Dolph's gone shell-shocked and starting to get off on killing all those Viet Cong villagers and such. Van Damme's got a conscience, so the two wind up fighting and kill each other off before the opening credits. So what are we going to do with the next hour and a half? I don't know. Mad government scientists to rescue. They use the corpse's deathlock style to work unstoppable military kill machines that can't be killed because they're already dead. But when 
cute Ali Walker, who is also in David Hebner's Raging Cajun, 90s grunge rom-com singles, and Shaq's Kazam, of all things, stumbles across the project during one of her investigative news reports. Both of them start to regain their past life memories, meaning Van Damme's Keeper on the Run, and Lundgren's in hot pursuit of the guy who took him out. Probably worth noting, this contains one of the few film appearances of 10 to Midnight's hilarious naked baddie Gene Davis, albeit in yet another of his usual bit parts. Never really cared for this one, but it's not as bad as Death Warrant. Even as an emotional zombie, Lundgren makes this one more watchable than Lionheart was. Oh, it's, I really like this movie. A lot more than you do, it seems. It's not, you know, it's not Shakespeare. It's no great shakes, but <laughs> it's... But considering that at the time it came, this was a bit unique because we're used to this... No, back, what are we, 2019? So we're used to seeing this often, 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 often replayed. Mm-hmm. This theme, the subject matter. But back then it was fairly new. And, you know, where you have your, your leads killed off and regenerated, they play well together as adversaries. They don't have the buddy-buddy thing team up. Oh, no, not at all. Which you, which, which you actually think will, will happen. This is also one of the movies that actually gives you that a little bit of insight, a peek into Van Damme's core. Like, there, there's some emotional stuff there. It's, he plays a little softer. So I think this is one of the few early parts to actually see him act, maybe for the first time. I will say that. There, there is some of that in here. And uh, Wilfred Brimley's in this one, which beforehand, we all fondly remember from John Carpenter's The Thing. And, you know, Wilfred kind of popped in and out of a few movie and TV things. But, you know, it's nice to see him showing up as... Another Frenchman from Louisiana, because of course Van Damme plays Luke Devereaux, formerly from New Orleans or something. So I I liked it. It's not a great film. <clears throat> they did a they tried to reboot this a couple of times, and one of them was pretty fucking psychotic. I will tell you that. We'll get to that later, maybe. But he's got some good strong movies coming after this. Nowhere to Run is not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, do you want to say anything about that one? Because I haven't seen that one. It's okay. It's nowhere to run. It's sort of like a, almost, can we say, a mishmash of revenge karate cop on the revenge for whatever the reason kind of movie. It just was kind of weak coming on the heels of that. And aside from his cameo in The Last Action Hero, which is the failed Schwarzenegger film, which we discussed uh, during that show, I don't remember his cameo in that, so I don't want to speak about that. But we go to Hard Target, 1993. Yeah, I actually do remember his cameo, and it was like almost like an office uh, diehard type sequence, but he's only there for a minute. Again, that movie was just crap. <laughs> We're discussing. Yeah, yeah. We already talked about it in the Schwarzenegger show, like a show. So Hard Target, as to several films at MGM and then Columbia, now Van Damme's back with Universal, where he drops a few fan favorites at what's probably the pinnacle of his career. Well, I definitely have a soft spot for Bloodsport, and especially Kickboxer. The next three mm. films are without question the three best, or at least most entertaining, Van Damme ever made, so far as I'm concerned. He'd been treading water with a lot of questionable major studio films post-canon, but here he finally hits his stride, and chances are if you dig Van Damme, these are the films you're thinking of right off the bat. Here he's supposed to be a poor Cajun day laborer and dock worker who rescues the obnoxious witchblade star at Yancey Butler when she's dumb mm-hmm. enough to flash a huge wad in front of a bunch of homeless bums who of course jump her and try to roll her immediately thereafter and winds up embroiled in this whole most dangerous game shtick where rich prick Lance Henderson organizes hunts of local bums for unscrupulous safari types. It's actually the first John Woo film outside of his Hong Kong stuff. Conan's Sven Oli Thorson's one of the baddies and Wilford Brimley helps save the day, leading Van Damme to stage a Django-style showdown among a bunch of old Mardi Gras floats and such. To be fair, Butler looks pretty good here. Drives an electric blue convertible version of my old Camaro. 
And there's a whole thing about our mistreatment of combat veterans. The guys they hunt are all Vietnam vets living on the streets. A challenge and untraceable, so it's a win-win in that respect. I like this film a hell of a lot, but don't walk in expecting one of Wu's Chaoyun fat vehicles like Hard Boiled, which was so much wilder and filled with so much more crazy stunts, his trademark bold time shots, etc. But for an American that hadn't really experienced the Hong Kong film craze yet or was just starting to discover it in cult circles at the time, this must have seemed like a wild action fest like anything else. So I do really like this film. It's just, it's not a John Wu film. Yeah, it's a tough one. My background, we've not ever done a Chaoyun fat show. <laughs> we should. Yeah. Think about that. I don't think we did, right? No. We talked about, it. yeah. I'm a big John Young Fat fan. I actually seen his movies in the theaters before I even saw him on tape in Chinatown. Same thing with John Woo. And then I, you know, like I had to see everything about John Woo. This is before people start writing about John Woo. This is how much I think John Woo's a really good filmmaker. That being said, not everything's great. Hard target. So Sam Raimi, everybody knows who Sam Raimi is, the Evil Dead. Sam Raimi's a fan of John Woo. God bless Sam Raimi. So he brings John Woo over to the States. This is right after Hard Boiled. And he's like, we'll work with who's, who's really fucking popular now. And young and gets the ladies into the movie theaters because Van Damme is good looking. Jean-Claude Van Damme put these two guys together. So as far as we know, they gave him a lot of leeway to do what he wanted. And he delivered a rough cut, uh, maybe a little over two hours. A universal sort of thing says, no fucking way. This thing is too bloody, too violent. What is going on here? So they they took it away from him. It's kind of embarrassing for Raimi and probably Rob, Bob Taper, I think, was also the co-producer on that. And, you know, like they brought this guy over to make a movie that in the style he makes. Exactly right. And then they the studio thought it was too violent. <laughs> we have yet to see officially released. Now, I had a I had a boot, and then I had a time-coded print of the John Woo cut. It's just longer, and um, it doesn't give you any more insight to anybody. It's just, it plays a little smoother, I would say that. But they cut it down, but still, it's, you know, Van Damme shines. He's got these hair extensions that you would think without watching, oh, extensions are ludicrous. No, it works fine. He still does some weirdly balletic moves on his motorcycle. <laughs> yes. It works. You know, he's this drifter, outsider, who ends up helping these people. You know, it's it's essentially the most dangerous game. Who is the bad guy? Lance Henriksen, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, Lance. So we all was, were loving in the Terminator T2. Sorry, aliens. It's all James Cameron, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. It was aliens. You know, and, and, and you know, Lance was like our hero. You know, as a bishop, I think. And aliens as the uh, genetically engineered robot person. So to see him pop up, you know, this is like the, the height of his fame now. All this is getting these big parts. As like head of bad guys who pay this guy, essentially rich, stupid fucks, pay these bad guys unseemly a lot of money to go hunt down people. Usually it's the homeless, but they don't know that Ben Dam's character has a background, which is kind of vague. <laughs> I still like it quite a lot. Yeah, Yancey Butler, uh, she did a Wesley Snipes movie. Was it Drop Zone around the same time? Where she also came across as like, yeah, you know, like, okay. Yeah, because usually I can't stand her here. I'm like, okay, you know, she's not so bad. <laughs> yeah, she was on the second 
or third season of her cable show, Witch Trap, or something like that. Oh, Witchblade, yeah, she did three seasons of that. She was, she was on Baywatch. She was always she, obnoxious. She had some serious drug issues. I saw her at a con event once, and she just looked like rough. So, uh, whatever happened to her? She had a reputation for being really difficult to work with. Oh, well, probably that, too. But hard target. Yeah, it's it's a big slam dunk. Despite its problems, despite studio tampering, it's a good, even in its altered form, a good movie film. It's a great Van Damme movie, followed by one of Van Damme's biggest hits and best yes. movies. So, 1994, Time Cop. Peter Hyams, who gives the ridiculous conspiracy theory Lodestone Capricorn 1, Sean Connery, Popboiler Outland, Fun Elliot Gould vehicle busting, all those we covered, and its very 80s successor Running Scared, and Schwarzenegger's Bizarre End of Days, speaking of things we covered, drops the single best Van Damme film ever made. <laughs> I'll bet you didn't know that we cracked the secret of time travel back in 94, did you? Sure enough, this proto-trancers kicks off with the ever-sleazy Ron Silver as the bed he uses the tech for his own advantage, which means history's changing in unpredictable ways. To head this off at the pass, the government forms the Time Enforcement Commission, recruiting local cop Van Damme, who just lost his hot wife Mia Sarah of Legend and Ferris Bueller fame, in an unprovoked assault and firebombing of his home. A decade later, he's still sitting home watching home videos of her, and Silver, who's got moles inside the opposition, is winning big time, having screwed with history so the TEC is shutting down, and he's both rich and a shoe-in for president. But it's always darkest before the dawn, and Van Damme's about to undo two major problems in one fell swoop. Yeah, what a great film. I mean, it's hardly a masterwork for the ages, nor is it saying something about society like Demolition Man, or for that matter, Idiocracy. But for a plot that sounds ripped straight out of Doctor Who, if not that stupid Tom Selleck, Gene Simmons runaway, Hines really manages to deliver something special here. And nudity in a Van Damme film that doesn't just involve his hairless ass? Both Sarah and this one furry hottie in a VR sequence bear all or close to it. And things get a lot harder than you expect for a mainstream action film, however briefly. I love this film. There's no two ways about it. Oh, yeah, I love it, too. It's a great Van Damme movie. Uh, when they, I have watched Van Damme movies with women in my life, and there's been a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> when I put this one on, they're like, I like this one. I like this one. So, it, yes, the, the, the history shows women do like this one a lot. Guys like this one a lot. Yeah, it's like Peter Himes. He did another really good one of Van Damme, which I'll mention later, but Time Cop, really good. It's, you, you I mentioned before, you know, there was another movie that you see, like, little softer moments. There's just quite a few of those for him here. Oh, yeah, a lot. He looks good. He's acting. He's doing his thing. He does an amazing split in the kitchen sequence. I was thinking of that, too. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, and yeah, it's uh, and, and it's also pretty brutal. This is a very brutal movie. Yeah, you know, we we both of us just got finished talking about Hard Target and how Universal thought it was too brutal, and yet here comes Time Cop, which has a lot of brutal scenes in it. It might have been xenophobia on on the part of the studio with Hard Target and John Woo because this movie's rough. It has some very gory stuff, which stays in, is in the cut, and now Ron Silver. He died much too young, unfortunately. You, you would see him in a lot of, like, uh, sort of, he's a, he was a familiar face at the time, like law movies or, uh, you know, just like being the bad guy, you know, bearded Jewish heavy, but always a bit of a prick. Here, I don't know. The dialogue is so blue, right? It is, right? Mm -hmm. Especially is. for him. There, there's some nasty ritual. Think Richard Lynch in that Chuck Norris movie, Invasion USA, you know, when Richard Lynch 
smacks the guy doing blow with the with the with the straw, and it goes right up his head. Ron Silver's like that in this movie. He'll turn to the guy and say, "I don't like what you're fucking doing," and shoot him in the head. Yo, and or or like, don't fucking talk to me like that. Yo, it's just it's just weird. It's very blue and it's very evil. It's also a very clever movie because they actually pull off all the shit they put out there. Because the various times back and forth, there are different versions of people, and it, it actually makes you care about the characters. I I don't laugh. You're saying that about Van Damme movie? Yeah, yeah, I agree. It actually makes you care about the characters, and you know Peter Himes overall. You know, it's like you talk about like great directors, bad directors, okay genre directors. He had some good ones, huh? He did have some good ones. This is definitely he hit a he hit a home run on this. This is. A really good movie. They followed up with a couple other time cops without Van Damme. Why the fuck would you bother? And then there was exactly. there was a cable series too that ran briefly without Van Damme. So good movie, highly recommended by the both of us. Definitely. So next up takes a bit of a detour, I guess. Street Fighter. I never thought of this as a Van Damme film. In fact, I thought it was a bit of hilarious cheese with the Mortal Kombat films, the live-action DOA, its amusingly bad 15-year delayed sequel with Lana from Smallville as Chun-Li, The Amazing Double Dragon, and a whole rack of ooey ball films. That's right, it's a live-action video game adaptation. As such, you have to expect some serious tongue-in-cheek comedy and some rather camped-up takes on what, to be fair, were always ill-imagined back-of-a-cocktail-napkin character backgrounds for fighting games. <laughs> They didn't exactly think these things out, people. So here you get some surprising folks like Adam's Family and Kiss of the Spider Ones were all Julia, cheesy locomotion pop star Kylie Minogue, who apparently had an affair with Van Damme on set, Mulan and Disney voiceover Ming Wan Nen, and of all people, Alistair Crowley himself, Simon Callow, about a decade before his chemical wedding. Now there's a film worth discussing. Julia is M. Bison, drug lord and fascist dictator, who's threatening the world with some MacGuffin of ransom or weapon or some shit. Good guy Van Damme is Colonel Guile, who alongside Double Dragon S. Double team of ne'er-do-wells Ken and Rue, Wen's Chun-Li and Minot's Kami have to invade his island fortress. Along the way, just about every other character from the fighting game series shows up on one side or the other with the expected end result. To be honest, while it's pretty damn amusing in its own rather Daigle comic book juvenile, you're right, this one's closer to a lesser take on Dolph Lundgren's enjoyably bad Masters of the Universe than it is bad but far more enjoyably fighting game adaptations like Double Dragon, the Mortal Kombat films are dead or alive. It's got too much of that major studio stink about it, and you're more in it to be amazed that name actors would ever have agreed to sign on to this and camp it up quite so horribly than to enjoy a bottom-feeding exploitation cheese fest in its own right, something the aforementioned films are far better suited to do. You know, I, I, I saw this and in the theater, and I was curious, because, you know, this is back in the time period where I'm really big into the video stuff, or just getting into, and so I was shocked, you know, how bad it was. It was cheesy, yes. <laughs> and I, I like Mortal Kombat 1 and 2 better than this, as far as that mm -hmm. goes, yes, but yeah, I was surprised to see the big names in this, and it didn't really hold together well. It's it's almost like okay we have some like name actor you know Van Damme's popular now he's super popular he he just came off a of Time Cop and, and you know that was super big for him and so what happens and yeah <laughs> <laughs> now you're totally right I mean if I'm gonna watch one of these kind of movies and I'm not looking for something hilariously cheesy like Double Dragon or Dead or Alive for that matter. 
you're right. Uh, the first couple of Mortal Kombat films are much more entertaining and doing pretty much the same thing, just without that major studio feel about it. I mean, they're campy, but they're campy because they're exploitation and people know they're doing a video game adaptation. It's like it's almost like a sci-fi film back in the days. You know, they know it's kind of shitty, but the hell with them, I'm gonna do my best. I'm not a great A actor, but let's make this work like on the level of like a Power Rangers movie or something. Mm-hmm. And it works in that respect. Street Fighter is more just like, wow, I can't believe people did this. Wow, this sucks. Ha ha ha. Isn't this funny? That level of the entertainment. It's not good on the same level as those other films. It doesn't work on the same level as other films. Yeah, I totally agree with you. But next and better, though, is... Well, I'll say around this time, he also showed up in a few music videos for Ice-T's supposed, quote, metal, put that one in major quotes, Side Project Body Count, or Cop Killer? I remember Body Count, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they did a song in the Universal Soldier soundtrack, by the way. One for the gangster-era MC Hammer, and he lost his mind era of Megadeth, you know, after he became a Bible thumper and went crazy. We all go to group therapy and all that bullshit. And even over to Japan for a Chage and Asuka video during the heyday, so I don't know what all that was about, but he was ubiquitous at the time. So, yes, next up, he does Sudden Death. It's another Peter Hyams, only, you know, it depends how you look at it. I'm thinking this time it was far more Worker Day, bearing more in common with the 70s terror sport flicks like Black Sunday and Two Minute Warning than it ever does a Van Damme film. But depending if you like that thing, you could look at it like, oh, yeah, this is great. This time it's not for spectators who are being threatened, at least not directly, but the vice president who's in town for the Stanley Cup Finals. Terrorists take him and his VIP lounge contingent hostage and plant bombs all over the arena, and Bruce Willis, I mean Van Damme, has to <laughs> circumvent all their traps to ensure everyone's favorite closeted Grand Inquisitor lives another day. Oh, wait, that would have been Al Gore, not Mike Pence. Whatever. So, of course, Van Damme would be the hero in the film about the Stanley Cup because he's supposed to be, wait for it, French-Canadian. Who loves their hockey? That's right. And you may have already known this, but the Penguin's mascot is actually a terrorist. There's one hilarious sequence in this film where the fucking mascot throws down with Van Damme in the kitchens, only to wind up in the belt going through the steam washers. I love that part. Powers Booth is the baddie. Van Damme saves the day. The title comes from the sudden death overtime the game goes into. I guess it's fine if you're into the two films aforementioned, which this is just a more action-oriented, amped-up version of, but, you know, whatever. Fucking sports. Who gives a shit? Next. <laughs> oh, it's very it's very good for this, uh, this ilk. Dave Bautista just remade this. Different title. Lower budget for Millennium. And I like Dave Bautista, by the way. So... <sighs> Coming off of Time Cops, so Van Damme reunited with uh, Peter Himes, and they did this bigger budgeted thing. I guess they gave him more money. So, well, you guys did well with Time Cop. You made us some, some, some cash, so we're going to give you a lot more money. Just, yeah, it's Die Hard in the Arena, pretty much. Powers Booth, you know, doing the villain thing around this time period. It's enjoyable. It's a little making a lesser Van Damme Himes team up. It's, it's got some ridiculousness going on. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's also got some cliched moments. Uh, you're gonna find that in this in this genre anyway. But but they they're kind of really out there. So uh, that being said, it's not bad. It's 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 enjoyable. Then there's a quest. And I was gonna say about the the last film there. I want to say two minute warning. Sudden death. A lot of people actually say, oh yes, it's his best film. Look how much acting he's doing. Again, it depends how you look at it. It's it can be a decent film. I'm not saying it's a shit film. It's just I don't know. It doesn't feel like a Van Damme film, and I'm mixed on it. You know, sometimes I like it. Sometimes I'm like, eh. So anyway. The quest. All right, this one he gets to direct on it, and he writes it. And what a mistake. 
Talk about Van Damme films you'd rather forget ever existed. This one he both wrote and directed, and P.U. is it a stinker. So a big hit around this time was that stupid Disney thing, Newsies. Remember that? So what are we going to do for our next Van Damme picture? That's right, some shitty period piece where everyone run around dressed like the cast from Annie or out of Africa or some shit. Van Damme is Tom Joad up. Well, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Somehow, he links some goofy bloodsport kickboxer Muay Thai ballerina shtick, guys in Shaolin monk robes, our hero being sold into slavery Conan style, and fucking Roger Moore as some shithead slaver and tomb raider who you're never quite sure whether you're supposed to find charming or hate. It's terrible. And the awful costumes and period bullshit only make things worse, with Van Damme's clumsy direction coming off like a sci-fi channel original movie or something. And hell, some of those were actually better, like Dungeons & Dragons' Wrath of the Dragon God or Habitat. This one, there's really no excuse for it. I hate this film. You know what's really weird? Seagal, around this time period, also directed his movie, the ecological Save the Earth action flick with Michael Caine. Remember Michael Caine with the with the shoe polished black hair? Yes. And, and that was better. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, so the quest, I don't think Van Damme did such an entirely bad idea, but like Roger Moore is really unlikable in this thing. And Van Damme, has an image of himself that he directs himself with the slick back hair. That's why I mentioned the Seagal one. Both these guys direct movies, and they're giving their own image, because they're the stars, but they're giving their own image as, like, greaseballs? Yes. Uh, it's, it's a weird all over the... the it's, it's epic. Here's the thing. So Van Damme makes this epic movie, but he doesn't have the CV to do that. Okay, you might have learned a lot of stuff by working with directors. I can't take that away from you. I'm not you. I'm sure you picked up a lot and you think you could do a lot. And also the studio believed that he could do it. So there's that. So, you know, I, I just think it was a mistake. It was an error. If you're going to look for a group of Roger Moore movies where he's unlikable, this is certainly one of them. Not evil but just unlikable and, and actually van damme doesn't come off too well in this thing either so uh, what's weird too is the tone because the way they play roger moore it's like i don't know if they thought you were supposed to like him as sort of a rogue or something because he's an asshole he's a slaver but nonetheless because he's also a tomb raider and a ne'er-do-well he's like amoral and therefore you know he's okay he could be an anti-hero like no not really <laughs> and soul of the slaver i don't buy that and so it just doesn't work so yeah, next up, 1996, Maximum Risk. It's another one of those dual roles, sort of. Whoops, the man's booted back to Columbia for the next few pictures. It's guess like a beach ball in these major studios, which will carry him through his final moments of fame before irrevocably jumping the shark into obscurity and no-budget direct-to-video nonsense. One of his last major films comes courtesy of Ringo Lam, mm. the second of three major Hong Kong filmmakers who made their first American films with Van Damme. Lam, who gave us dark films like City on Fire, Prison on Fire, School on Fire, do you think he's got a flame finish? And Twin Dragons, which is appropriate. Here he's half of yet another pair of twins separated at birth, only he never knew it. He's a French cop who finds out when tracing a dead body that looks just like him. He turns out to be a Russian mobster. Naturally, he runs into a whole mess of problems when he traces things back to the man's stomping grounds in New York City. Natasha Hentridge of Species fame makes for an attractive co-star, but it's overly flat-looking and TV-ish, with a black-toned, washed-out palette of bleh. And the film is grim and depressing without any of the hyperkinetic, comic booky, indoor chest thumping, vicarious thrills generally associated with action and kickboxing films throughout the 80s and 90s, much less Hong Kong films. It's just bleak and no fun to watch. But you obviously liked it a lot more than I did. So what's your take? Oh, I like it a lot. I always liked this picture. The Ringo Lamb, Full Contact, was, was a big favorite of mine with Chow Yun Fat. And uh, there's a later Chow Yun Fat picture. And, you know, Ringo Lamb just went nuts with that one so it was nice to see him working over here on the heels of woo 
wouldn't. Ringo did a couple of pictures of Van Damme, but th- I think this is the best. Nice Brooklyn locations. I mean, <laughs> it was nice to see Van Damme chasing hoods on the Brighton Beach line on the elevated train tracks. And it's dark, though. It's dark. Yeah. It's grim. You mentioned that. And, y'all, you know, Russian mob is around. They got to be, you know, they got to be doing something, right? Not something right, but they got to be doing something. <laughs> you know, we've heard about this ever since the 70s, if not the 60s. But, you know, there was a big thing in the 90s, Russian mobsters. Van Damme's really good, I thought, in the role of the twin brothers. Even more so in Double double Impact. There's a scene. It's been repeated umpteen times since then. Actually, David Cronenberg stole this, I think, for his movie with uh, Vigo Mortensen, History of Violence. There's a close quarter scene. It's in an elevator with Van Damme and these three or four guys. And it's Ringo Lamb's smart. He knows the the setup and the the height and the width of the elevator. It's your typical elevator. And he has a fight scene taking place in here that is so realistic and brutal. It's one of my favorites. Every time I see it, I'm just like, wow. It's like a rush moment because, like, this is how this would take place if this went down like this. So, of course, Ringo Lamb and Van Damme really liked each other, I guess. And they made a couple other pictures after this that were kind of in the psychedelic field. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I really like Maximum Risk. I I really think it showcases him, you know, after a misstep of the quest, really showcases him well as an actor. You know, we're not looking at him as a martial artist anymore. We're looking at him as the guy who does action movies with some drama. You know, so that's maybe maybe where he wanted to go. Maybe where it's a natural progression. You know? Yeah, it's definitely more of a dark cop film than it is yeah, any sort of kickboxing film. I really film. liked it, but I like dark movies anyway, so that's, that's me. <laughs> I, I like this one. The other two have their moments. What do you have to say about Double Team? Well, Double Team 97 is the last of Van Damme's notable films. It marks the first non-Hong Kong film of Story Hark, who delivers such greats as We Are Gonna Eat You, The Butterfly Murders, Writing Wrongs, Twin Dragons, all three installments of Chinese Ghost Story, Green Snake, Wicked City Dragon, Iron Monkey. I love this guy. So even more so than John Woo's Van Damme film, why doesn't all that visual flair translate here? There's a lot of bizarre tracking zooms, inappropriate close-ups, uncalled for slow-mo, and an overly restless camera that sneaks from side to side throughout, but none of it really works. Plus, I guess they couldn't land Wesley Snipes, so they chose the man who stole his bad haircut from back in Demolition Man, the obnoxious basketball player Dennis Rodman. Perhaps it's appropriate that Van Damme first meets Rodman in a gay fetish club, <laughs> seriously, there's no female in sight, where he messes up a tattoo, and they trade homoerotic dialogue about sticking things up each other's asses. I'm not kidding you. There's unnecessary extra tension with a side plot involving Van Damme's pregnant wife who winds up becoming a hostage to Mickey Burke's ridiculous terrorist, Robin, who's supposed to be a sleazy weapons dealer mind, joining him on a raid on the guy to save her. There's a wild tiger. Who knows? Who cares? This one's a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing. You know, this film, I wanted to like it. It seemed like, yeah, this should work. Here's half-ass demolition man wannabe thing. Okay, here's the guy that inspired Snipes, and here's Van Damme. Got Choi Hark. This is going to be great. And it's like... Well, I liked it better than Maximum Risk, I think, but it still kind of sucks. I'm, I'm surprised. You're really expecting a lot, and it does not deliver any expectations, and that's the wait, problem. Wait, this is the movie where Mickey Rourke was a villain, right? Oh, so, yeah. So, <laughs> Don't so, me. I think what you missed, though, or you didn't discuss, so Van Damme is part of this multi-global 
almost. Um, do you remember the books of not Phil K. Dick, the other guy who did the Doc Savage and Tarzan retreads? Uh, what was his name? Phil Jose Farmer. Farmer. Remember that whole group, the nine he created? So there's that. Somebody ev- evidently read those books and put their version of the nine in here because Van Damme and all these people from around the world work for this group very similar to the nine. Remember this? So uh, Mickey is like a guy who's been expelled. Mickey Rourke's been expelled from this. So they, they assigned like Van Damme to like go after him, which I found was a nice thread. So I'm like, so who reads these things? Jerry Hart did or somebody in the studio did, which is pretty far out there. But the rest of it didn't hold up. It was globetrotting and it was bizarre. There's, a, there's like two or three standoffs between Mickey Rock and Van Damme too, which I thought were odd. But I think one of them was in a like a um, an Olympic Village or something, or was it in like a like a Disneyland type of thing. It was very strange. Like because True Hart likes playing with big toys, you know, especially since. He got. He has a major U.S. budget working with, and yeah, all the charm and the the misanthropy and the bizarreness of a Joey Hart movie is not evident in this one. Exactly. Yeah. But that being said, you could do far less ninety minutes than you can spend with Van Damme or Rob Schneider in Knockoff, right? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and that's the problem with this film. It's like. It's not a horrible film. It's just I'm, you're expecting a lot more, especially if you're into Hark and you're into Van Damme, and it just doesn't deliver. So in that respect, it's like, wow, I actually wrote this film just sucks. And I'm like, well, it didn't suck. It's just it sucked compared to what it should have been or what it could have been, you know, what we were all expecting. But from here on out, I think Van Damme's star kind of dims. He winds up starting a lot of limited release and direct-to-video titles, some of which he directs, writes, and or produces. You mentioned Rob Schneider being in a film with him. That's already a, that should be telling well, right there. Well, that was that was knockoff. That was the that was right after Double Team. Um, that was also directed by Choi Hark. So they did two in a row. Um, did you want to discuss that? No, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is this is. So it's written by Stephen DeSouza, who I think worked on one of the Die Hard movies as a writer. Paul, Paul Servino's in this, and he's one of those people I had, like, worse running in real life. But that's another story. We should do a show on when did Lewis have his worst run-in with his worst run-ins with celebrities. Anyway. Well, I understand Mirror is a piece of work, too, so I can picture him. Could be. I saw Paul Servino. He's sitting there at a con eating a big fucking festival of food. At his table. Like, we're talking like big steak, thick steak, professionals. So I walked over there and said, wow, it's Paul Servino still alive. He goes, hi, want to buy something? <laughs> I said, no, I, I want to say hi. Hello, there's the prices right there. <laughs> there was nobody there because nobody wanted to bother him eating his food. And all you need to do was see him in a Scorsese film of late. And like, I don't want to bother this guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I like him being. <laughs> so, so there's that. Um, that being said, this is, I don't know. So Van Damme and his crazy friend, Rob Schneider, they're selling bootleg jeans in East Asia. Okay. <laughs> and then they run across the mob and CIA, and this and that, and bad people. And this is, like, really written on the cocktail napkin yes. at the 
at the uh, Coke Fuels <laughs> meeting of the studio. And this is around the time period that Van Damme, between Double Team and Knockoff, rumors are abounding around them, that Van Damme has a cocaine problem. Yes, he does. And his wife left him briefly, as far as we know. And this would plague him for about two to three years. And suddenly... He didn't get as many major roles. So probably knew something we didn't, or they knew something we did. Now, I like Legionnaire. Did you want to discuss that? No, actually, what I was saying is that from here on out, Van Damme starred Dims. He winds up starring in limited release and directed video titles, some of which he directs, writes, and or produces. And the only reasons he can really correlate with this was this was when he got sued by the fellow he more or less Frank portrays Dukes. in Bloodsport, Frank Dukes. And that this was also right around when he apparently developed too much of a taste for the sniffy, as you mentioned. He gets a bit of a comeback bump from this self-mocking and very meta-miniseries Jean-Claude Van Johnson very recently. And, of course, an Expendables experience before that. But that's really, to me, that's all there is to discuss about him. I mean... Oh, I'm going to have to carry a lot of movies in. Yeah, because oh from here on out, it's like, whatever. You know? He's doing stuff that people aren't really seeing, unless you're really looking for him actively. Uh, if you will, then I'll cherry pick through the next 20 years. <laughs> so we have Legionnaire from 97. We're actually not bad, actually. It's by Peter McDonald, who uh, was the second unit guy who took over on Rambo 3, which a lot of people don't like, but he was the DP on that, and he took over the, the direction on that. So he turns out he's really a director of photography. Really, God knows who was fired from this picture. <laughs> This is a, a very interesting movie where Van Damme becomes a legion, is a legionnaire who, for one reason or another, just can't get his act together, and he ends up foreign legion. So it's a time period piece, nineteen uh, twenties. It's a drama more than it is an action film, which I think may have been problematic. It was also done by Fox. Again, probably hoping to do something else with this actor. And I guess people want to see something else. There was a Universal Soldier, The Return, in 99, which has Van Damme and Michael Jai White, who they still are trying to make the next big thing after years. He was in uh, Spawn, for those in the know, or those not in the know. Bill Goldberg is in this, for those wrestling fans. This is a poor follow-up to the original Universal Soldier. Now they kind of... Luke Devereaux, Van Damme's character from Universal Soldier, is apparently now all human. Okay. <laughs> and he has a different girlfriend. I guess it's Wilford Brimley died. And yet the Universal Soldier people who created that program realize that Devereaux is still around, so send more Universal Soldiers after him to make sure... He doesn't talk or create an issue for them. It's a poor follow-up. It was directed by a Aussie named Mick Rogers. That's a really snazzy name. My name is Mick Rogers without the K. Uh, didn't do well. Went straight to video or whatever. And it was kind of, you would you would think at the time, the last word on this stuff as far as Universal Soldier goes. Then he did a uh, okay movie called Inferno. One of the much better Van Damme movies, period, was reteaming with Ringo Lamb for an absolutely insane picture called Replicant. This is one with Michael Rooker, of all people. So here's the gig. Van Damme's a serial killer. He's really good. This is one of those really good Van Damme movies, acting-wise. He's a sicko serial killer who then sets his victims on fire. And all the victims are mothers, right? So we're getting like, how sick is this? This is a Ringo Lamb movie. We're looking dark territory. 
So Michael Rooker is a Seattle cop who's been chasing this sick bastard for a long time. And no, Ringo Lamb, fire once again. So. <laughs> yeah, fire. There we go again. So let's say that once caught and executed, little does Michael Rooker realize that the powers that be have created two clones. One, a childlike, innocent clone of a serial killer, and one, an even more vicious clone of a serial killer as he was. Right? You with me so far? So Rook, Rooker has to deal with, and here's this thing, get the double thing. So here's the thing, now Rooker totally distrusts Van Damme at all, right? Just as he was, you know, he's chasing he's you know this guy was an evil killer and you know killed women and he killed you know mother you know pregnant women but van damme plays the childlike version in a way where he's almost autistic very interesting it's a very begrudgingly slow going buddy cop thing until we get to the really sinister version of van damme you know the cloned killer and it's it's a really under the radar movie it's called Replicant. I, I, I think it's really good. Both these guys turn in great work. Rooker can be... He can be atypical of, 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 a, of a format. He tends to play a lot Michael Rooker. You know, whatever you say, it's Michael Rooker. This is still the period where Michael Rooker was doing things, inhabiting characters, inhabiting roles. He's really good in this. It's a really good Van Damme movie. It's called Replicant. So I wanted to give a shout out to that. Now, he did a lot of stuff. So, I mean, after this point, this did not do well. This was for a major studio, but it didn't do the action that they wanted to do. He started doing a lot of straight-to-video stuff, mainly for French, mainly for Canadian, maybe for Belgian producers. We've had titles like The Order, Derailed, and Hell, Darker, Wake of Death, blah, blah, blah. Then in 2008, he did something really unusual. He did something called JCVD. That was a strange thing because it's supposedly an autobiography, but it's not really because it's mm. kind of scripted and fake. So I didn't get it, but it definitely brought him back to attention. People started to say, you know what? I kind of like this guy. And at least as a, you know, not in a wink, tongue in cheek sort of a thing. So this is actually what saved his career, if you will. Yeah. 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 It's, it was directed by a Belgian person. It was made in Belgium. Essentially, now a much older Jean-Claude Van Damme and a much past his battles with, let's see, things that they said plagued his career in Hollywood, whether they were drug-related, psychological-related, or issues with women. This is a Van Damme who's not past this prime, but like kind of out of, down on his luck. Yeah. So this movie has Jean-Claude Van Damme playing Jean-Claude Van Damme, which is interesting. And so he goes to a bank to get a loan because he's he's on a he's on his cell phone with his with his agent. They're trying to get him lined up for some shitty movie that he doesn't really want to do, but he's thinking of doing because one of his kids has a birthday coming up and he wants to give his kid a present. So he goes to the bank for a loan, and some guys hold up the bank. Little did he realize one of the you know they they take hostages, and little did he realize one of the hostages is Jean Claude Van Damme. But he's Jean Claude Van Damme, the now late middle aged man who is not a karate-kicking hero, you know? Very interesting how this all plays out. It's a lot of talking to the camera. It's a lot of introspective stuff. But it showed what he can do as far as acting. And, and it really kind of rebooted him. He got a lot of good notices for this. So much so 
that <laughs> his voiceover role in Disney. <laughs> now, before we get to that, so much so that Peter Himes' son, John Himes, oh my God, decided to reboot Universal Soldier yes. with Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren. Now, Regeneration, I would say, is a very strange movie. John Himes, son of Peter, which I just said, has a more twisted outlook on life. Sort of like uh, Ringo Lamb. He's a very dark filmmaker. And the reboot of the Universal Soldier thing just made everything that came before it, it kind of blew it away. It's sort of like, well, if we thought... How do I say this? It's, it's, it's kind of complicated. So we have Luke Devereaux, the Van Damme character, rejoining the Universal Soldier group, but undergoing rehabilitation therapy to make him evil again? Why would you want to do that? And then Dolph Lundgren wasn't put to death as we thought in the in the past film, which is like 10 years previous. He's actually been on ice. This was so bizarre and so twisted that some people actually liked it enough that actually did money well enough on the uh, home video cable circuit. You mentioned Kung Fu Panda, which is, yeah, voiceover. <laughs> now the Expendables too. Did you want Say anything about that? Well, we talked about it uh, when we did our Stallone show, so there's not a lot to say, but I know you like this one a lot. I actually found it the darkest of the three films. I actually preferred the third one. It had a much nicer tone to a nicer feel, and I also liked a lot of the stars that were in it. You know, I've been seeing Custom Grammar, people like that in there. But he does give a very son-of-a-bitch villain character in this one, which you weren't really expecting to see him as. Again, I wasn't a big fan of this one, but I know you like it a lot. Yeah, yeah. Simon West, who did movies like Con Air, hey, before totally bombing out with, I don't know, whatever, just pick your movie, did Expendables 2, 2012. So, what are the Expendables for those people who've been living under on rock. the street, <laughs> under a rock? It's like Stallone's thing to just put all popular people together, Every plus one. action film possible. If you were an action film star in the 80s or 90s, chances are he's going to grab you for this, at least the major ones. Yeah, yeah. The plus one is always Jason Statham, who kind of was popular later and still popular today. And so Jet Li for some reason. Yeah, Jet Li, because I think they couldn't get Jackie. So, you know, we have Stallone, Statham, Jet Li, Dolph Lundgren, Chuck Norris, Terry Crews, Randy Kocher, I know, Liam Hensworth, the younger brother of Thor, Bruce Willis, who shows up for a payday, and Schwarzenegger. <laughs> so, so who's the baddie in this one? Is Van Damme very dark, very twisted. Oh, and Scott Adkins is Van Damme's second-in-command, like the knife-wielding thug with the very... This is a, one of the dark, expendable movies, and... Uh, I liked it because it's just like Van Damme plays it so twisted. After doing a couple of years of straight-to-video work, he gets A-list movie. He's the villain. He's working with everybody who was somebody at some point in time. So I think just said go for it. You know, or Stallone would go, go for it. I liked it. Just, they have a good fight, too. I mean, you know, if there's something I could say, Stallone knows how to choreograph his fight scenes. And the one with Gibson and him in Expendables 3 is very good. The one with him and Van Damme and the end of this is very good. You, you almost think these guys are beating the hell out of each other. For real. I like this one. I think it did a little bit to kind of bring Van Damme back into public eye, but he was still pounding out. Oh, not just the Universal he, Soldier remix. Now he's doing Kickboxer remix. <laughs> he did a couple well, of Well, that's, 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 yeah, coming up to that. Actually, I don't have too many movies to name check, but Pound of Flesh, 2015, really good. 
I wanted to mention that. I just re- I caught up that a little bit late. He's been working with a guy named Ernie Babarash. I have no idea who he is. This was shot in Manila. I has Van Damme as a maybe ex-black ops agent, maybe ex-operative for the CIA, who's spending a lost weekend in Manila, wakes up without a kidney. And, like, what? Yes. <laughs> you know, it's that whole thing down there, organ theft. Yep, we, t- we talked about it before. So it's 20 years later. It's still going on. Van Damme spends the majority of this very dark, very bleak movie trying to get his kidney back or trying to find out who the hell t- stole his kidney. Then there's someone who needs a kidney. Lo and behold, that figures into this film. Really well done. Very dark. A lot less martial arts. And then more just a combination of gun violence and... Let's get a team together of oddballs. Interesting group of, if you ever get around to seeing this, but interesting group of supporting cast members. I like Pound of Flesh a lot. I was really surprised how dark Van Damme will let himself get. There was another Disney thing, King Panda. Yeah, Kung Fu Panda 3. Using 2 and 3. Yeah, Kung Fu Panda 3. <laughs> then the kickboxer thing that you mentioned, which was really good. What you say is true. <laughs> so John Stockwell, who's used to be a teen boy phenomenon, then wound up becoming a decent director of oddball movies, does kickboxer retaliation with this guy named Elaine Musai, another Belgium first person, who it's pretty much the same kickboxer as the Van Damme kickboxer original. His brother gets messed up in the, in the actually his brother dies, I believe, in the uh, Kumatai fight. So he's the lesser and he wants to learn how to be bigger, badder, stronger, so he can defeat the monstrous villain at the end. So he trains with this guy who is Van Damme's character from the original movie, although this guy is playing Van Damme's character. Don't, it's a little confusing there. The odd thing is Van Damme always wears sunglasses, even at night. And he's very, he's very wise. He says wise shit. He moves like to win. It's like he regained his sense of who he was. Kickboxer, <laughs> I hate to say it, but with the cheesy title of Kickboxer Vengeance, and Dave Bautista's a villain in this because at this time, you know, mid-2016, he's still not yet hit his stride as like the comedy hero. He's really good as a villain. It's, it's a really entertaining film. They did something weird with this, though, because suddenly a lot of people started saying positive things about this on the net. I liked it. A couple of people I know liked it. People started watching it. So two years later, 2018, they did a sequel to this. So they did a sequel to the sequel for the reboot. I know. Directed by someone else, we go very dark here. What? That's true. Now the guy goes back to this deadly Indonesian area. The same guy, Alain Musai, from the previous kickboxer film, especially when they kidnap his girlfriend for the first movie, and they threaten her like Christopher Lambert from Highlander and the the aforementioned Mortal Kombat that you, you brought up, shows up here as this head of this very dark, very sleazy, very sinister drug fight club thing with these Thai lesbian killers working for him <laughs> as bodyguards. True. And so he has great dialogue, which I don't know if he wrote it or if somebody wrote it, but it's really good dialogue. It's very self-effacing and yet very dark. Van Damme shows up about an hour into this movie, blinded, blinded that, that Lambert had captured him because he hates this guy, this, the, the hero of this movie so much that he captured Van Damme and 
took out both his eyes. But Van Dam was still helpless guy. And and there and who shows up as a lisping and yet apparently at first super evil and powerful boxer, but then he becomes a sort of ghostly good presence before he disappears in the movie entirely. It's Mike Tyson. <laughs> it's a very strange movie. It's it's almost like it belongs in another plane of existence. <laughs> Kickboxer Retaliation is also worthy of seeing a very strange Van Damme performance in this because, as I just said, you know, he, he turns up mid-movie, the same nice character from the previous movie is now entirely without sight. So very strange there. He's still working. One thing I haven't seen was he was teamed up with Dot Lundgren for an undersea submarine film which had to do with spies, espionage, and Russians or something called Black Water, but I didn't see that. That was from last year. Other than that, we're caught up. Yeah, and like you mentioned before, we both mentioned it was uh, Jean-Claude Ben Johnson, the series of different Netflix, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, thank you for mentioning that. I did want to say something additional about that. So that was something that was an Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime came up with the idea of doing something called Jean-Claude Johnson. <laughs> Basically, Jean-Claude Van Damme playing himself, who was Jean-Claude Van Damme, right? But we didn't know that Jean-Claude Van Damme was also an undercover agent while he was an actor all those years. Okay, I'll buy that. <laughs> Oddball cast of people popping up, like familiar faces, if not names. There were 30-minute episodes. There were six to eight of these things. I like very self-effacing. Van Damme did really great job in this thing. Everybody that I saw write about this in social media also enjoyed this, like people that I know that saw it. But for some reason, Amazon thought the viewership wasn't high enough and they canceled it, which is a damn shame because there's a lot of crap out there that gets a go-ahead for a second season. I just can't fathom. But if it's out there and you see it as a DVD rental or a Blu-ray, you know, they'll probably put all one season together. Jean-Claude Van Damme as Jean-Claude Van Johnson is a lot of fun. And it's also interesting. It's, it goes to dark places. Like, so his character shows up, and they're like, weren't you in that great C movie last year? And they're like, well, yeah, I was. Didn't you have, like, a drug problem? Yeah, well, I did. So the stunt woman doesn't want to work with him because he had a relationship with her. And then his ex-wife is working on a movie where he has a role as a coordinator, stunt coordinator, right? In one of the episodes? But she's banging Michael J. White, <laughs> who's, who's also had a, a B-movie career, and it's like, just they let a lot of stuff in here. It's like for people who know, who've watched all these movies and know the history of them, this is a series for them, and I wish they did more of them. Everybody I talked to really liked it. I tried a couple episodes. I wasn't as enamored of it, but it's definitely amusingly watchable and very, very meta. And again, mm. it just plays into what we were saying in the beginning. The guy's got a sense of humor about himself. Okay, so he realized, okay, well, I've come this far. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've fucked up. I had it all and kind of blew it for whatever reasons and whatever ways. But you know what? I'm still here. I'm still trying. Take it as you will. My legacy stands. And like me, hate me, I'm going to keep on trying. And there's a lot to be said for that. Just forget about it as an actor or anything else. Just as part of the human condition. Being human is you make fucking mistakes. You screw up. And sometimes you screw up really, really badly. And But you know, what do you do with after that? Do you just give up? 
or do you pick yourself up and start over again? And that's really what it's all about. So I respect him for that. And, you know, again, beyond that even, he's got this, especially in the older films, this boyish charm that plays through. Yeah, he was screwing up badly even then. Forget about Coke habits and all this other crap. The fact that he was so loose with his methods of fighting that he was actually making contact with actors. Okay, yeah, actors can be a little prissy, whatever, but the fact that he took a guy's fucking eye out with a prop, that's pretty damn bad. That's really saying a lot about unprofessionalism in that respect. So he was always screwing up. But nonetheless, I do think that the guy has, what do you want to say, the right attitude to make it. And in that respect, I'm cheering him on. You know, while I don't really care for much that he's done since the 90s, you know, he did have a good run there in some films that are really, really entertaining. Even if you got to take him tongue-in-cheek, like, oh, Jesus, Van Damme, whatever. But nonetheless, they're fun. And women like him, like my wife likes his movies. Guys like him if they can get past all this prejudice that came up in between against him for whatever reason. Oh, you know, his ballet or whatever. He was at the top and now he fell and ha ha ha. Well, if you can get past that shit, everybody kind of has a soft spot for Jean-Claude Van Damme. And I think he deserves that. You know, if nothing else, he deserves the chance to keep on going and see what he gives us. And from what I hear from a lot of people, including yourself, a lot of people like what he's doing, even now. So hats off to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with everything you said. And uh... Are you there? Okay, so unfortunately, it looks like we lost our co-host due to computer issues. So, thanks for joining us today for chat about Jean-Claude Van Damme. If you'd like to join us as a filmmaker or musician, join us on air. Drop us a line at our website, weirdscenes1.wordpress.com, or you can talk to us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash weirdscenes1. We're also on Twitter at weirdscenes1, or on Podbean, thirdeyesinema.podbean.com. We're also on iTunes. To find us by the Third Eye Cinema Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine podcast, ID 5534020044, and of course that's at itunes.apple.com. And of course stick around for our after show dialogue and commiseration, and we will see you next time.
every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Tune in to Third Eye Cinema, your source for in-depth discussion of cult cinema with a focus on film that matters. Cult, grindhouse, drive-in, independent, and underground film from the dawn of the talkies through the early 90s. This is a forum where we explore genre film and music from around the world, in-depth conversation and career analysis with directors, actors, and musicians, and open discussion on films that matter, those that fall outside the mainstream corporate film by boardroom committee. These are the problems of the auteur, the visionary, the dreamer, the outsider. None of that direct that passes for mainstream film these days. This is all about the glory days of independent cinema from all over the world. Any of the hotbeds of obscure, oddball, or generally wild cinema available on DVD from the dawn of the medium to this very day. Join us as we delve deep into the cinematic netherworld here on Third Eye Cinema. Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. What is At Eye Level? A reductio ad absurdum look at the headlines, from politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you've got to have a sense of humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery. And try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At eye level, bringing more to you. Only on the Big Papa Network, on Blog Talk Radio. Join us on Tuesday nights at 6.30 Eastern for an exploration of the many roads and methods which promise to lead us to the ultimate answer, a higher purpose, the meaning of life. I'm just like a lot of you, a middle-aged mom with piles of laundry and a meditation practice. I've been down many roads to get where I am today, and my journey is far from finished. But I'd like to share my experience and hard-earned wisdom with you. So what is it about women and spirituality? It seems like we're always the first to try out something new. Christianity was spread in large part by wealthy women. And where would Uncle Al be without his scarlet women? Who is by and far the largest audience of New Age alternative spirituality? What is it about us that always has us seeking? And why does it always seem that men tend to take over what we discover? Join us for a dialogue between two long-lost friends representing both the yin and yang aspects of the whole, each of whom have traveled multifarious paths all across the spectrum of spirituality, the dark side and the light, from the organized to the out of the way. This show is for all those frustrated in their quest who've been through various stops on the spectrum of spirituality and found them ultimately unfulfilling. Join us for some hard-earned lessons and thoughts on potential new directions and possible value in what inevitably fails in organized practice, but which may have some merit to the solo practitioner, fellow seekers of truth, in this journey towards life. Moving towards life. Lessons in life and spirituality from unconventional seeker. Bringing more to you, only here on the Big Papa Online Network. On Blog Talk Radio. Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Join us for Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell with Doc Savage, Lois Paul, myself. Discuss the beloved, the Katie, the 
career and the wonderful world of cult films, music, television, and more. We'll be covering classic films, shows, musicians, and literature of the past, with an eye towards what new visions may still arise from the soullessly derivative mire of our modern age. Tune in, turn on, and take a step outside the mainstream as we dig deep into the rich vein of cult cinema, music, and television, right here on Weird Seats Inside the Gold Mine. Only here on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. Hello. Hi, on this laptop. After I did lots of stuff to make it new again, it was uh, acting up today, and I, you know, hooked it up a couple hours ago, and we have to reboot everything, and there's a new version of Skype. Another one? Looks and sounds the same. I am so sick of that. Ding, dong, 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 ding, dong, dong. <laughs> same here. Oh, yeah. I installed the boot it up. It looks exactly the same. It seems, appears exactly the same. And, I mean, it'd be cool if they had, like, a melodious tone. You know, like, ding, dong, 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 You know, something. You know, it's just, like, it's harsh. You ever hear the crap tones they give you on the Android phones? It's like, they're not going to give you anything good. These things are horrible. I know, I, I, you know, like my friend has a, a lot of, I'm one of the few with Android, but I, I still, you know, until it's dead. Yeah, same know. here, we, we use Android. Yeah, you know, I like, what's that? What's my ringtone, man? Holy shit. What's that? It's <laughs> my ringtone. That's nice. Then I look at my phone, because like, you know, so you have an Android, they always push through these updates periodically, and yep. sometimes in the summer and fall, you get them a lot. I'm like, Ooh, maybe there's some new ringtones. No. <laughs> or they suck. It's like a UFO or something. Like, what is this crap? Or tinkling bells? I'm like, no. <laughs> well, I used tinkling bells for a while. Then I, I because it was like, okay, it's kind of nice if you're in the office and you get an emergency call. Uh, then when you're outside, you can't hear the damn tinkling bells. Uh, anyway, it's hot. Well, picture yours, because my uh, ringtone for you, at least for the text and stuff, it's just like a ice going into a champagne glass. Oh, I had to, I had that one. I used that for a long time. Yeah, I'm, I I have to change mine because I can hear it around here. But if I was outside or something, like that, I'd never hear that. <laughs> well, I mean, the tricky thing is to find music, y'all, like a snippet. Mm-hmm. So I had "Can't You Hear Me Knocking" the intro, da 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 da, and then it repeats. And everybody's like, "What the hell's that?" I'm like, oh, I Oh, I used to freak people out at the office because my main ringtone was, you probably don't remember him, but Santino Morello, the joke wrestler. And yeah. he had this fake operatic thing that went kind of power metal. <laughs> so you get this guy singing, Aah! he used to get blasted behind them. And everybody snaps their head like, what the hell is that? And then if it's certain people, I've got different things like, you know, my wife, i got a snippet of the scorpion. So every time the phone goes off, everybody knows it's me. <laughs> I had back in black for a while, too. They're coming back, too. Did you see that? I heard that. Is it Brian Johnson again? Did they finally dump the Guns N' Roses guy that got I, I think tons? Brian <laughs> uh, spent a lot of time with uh, physicians, and they, they they came up with the in-ear thing, and so we'll see. I hope it doesn't turn out like AFI, because you know, I'm sure you don't know them, but when Davey Havoc had the operation on his vocal cords from all the screaming, he came back and they did this horrible, I think it was December Underground, and I was still a fan, so I picked that up unheard. Brand new album coming out. Like, what the fuck is this? And ever since they've been, I, mean, I think they just stopped being a band, but they were doing this really, I don't know, I want to say elevator music, but totally nothing like what they were doing before. It's pathetic. I was, you know, seriously, yeah, let's talk for a while. We haven't talked for a while. Yeah, you know, seriously, I, I was always amazed at both these guys, Bon Scott and him. Yeah, because you know and I know 
nobody can sing naturally like that. You're really pushing it out there. You're really straining your chords. So Bon Scott was a character, yo. Anyway, yes, he, was. he was a character, and you're like, okay, all right. You're like, you see, <laughs> he wasn't a big guy either. So you're wondering where all that power came from, and it was obviously vodka. That was just, <laughs> I think that was one of his big drinks of choice. Uh, unfortunately, yes, he was. drank too much of it. So here comes Brian, who's got a heavier voice, or the Aussie Gordy voice, and actually Jordy was one of the bands he was in before he joined that's actually how they found him because Bond saw Jordy playing yeah. and the story is that he was having an attack of appendicitis and fell on the ground screaming and he's like wow great show <laughs> get this guy <laughs> yeah you know I, I've seen yeah. him live I, I've seen him on every tour and I'm like fuck how do you do that <laughs> it's just like y'all the and, and Angus bless his heart y'all everybody talks about everybody every, Nobody talks about Angus is getting older too. He's getting into that that club. I believe is around sixty five now, more or less. He he puts on those uh, schoolboy schoolboy trousers, schoolboy and... trousers. You know, and you know every show I I've seen him in arenas because they tend to tour during the cooler months. You know, and smart thing. You know, mm-hmm. smart thing. You know, I'm gonna fucking see the Stones in a week, and they're gonna play outdoors. And thank God it wasn't this weekend. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's what my friend said the other night. We went to see this pretty decent Genesis cover band at the cutting room who had no AC. Wow. Everybody was dying. I went outside after the show, and I was just as hot out than it was in. And we were all sweating. And I felt bad for the guy because he was doing all these Peter Gabriel makeup and, and prosthetics. And they were fun. And my friend, you know, he says, I hope the stone show, the weather's not like this because, you know, I said, yeah, yeah, I know. I said, but you know what? <laughs> we'll, we'll have air as stifling as it is. We'll be outside. No, it's so we'll be breathing like guppies. Like, <gasps> <laughs> Yeah, no, I was in the elevator before, and even though the fan's on, mm. I guess because it's this tight and closed space in this weather, mm. my first thought was, okay, just pretend it's this hostage situation, and like, you know, you're in the bank like Bronson and Delone and uh, Farewell Friend, and <laughs> you just kind of like slow your breathing, you kind of you know, like almost meditate, you know, whatever, but still, it's like you got to gasp for little snatches of air in there. It's horrible. Well, that's a good analogy. Yeah, there was also that, what was that, Grand Slam, I'm that good heist movie. Grand Slam's my favorite, yep. And they have to do this mid to late 60s early it's a heist thing uh, with the lasers and everything it's like lots of hold your breath moments don't let a drop of sweat drip down you can just see everybody's perspiring <laughs> and uh yeah i i had to run an errand <laughs> you're gonna laugh so i took a shower at 11 o'clock and i got out of the house 11 15 just to make it back for the show and i had to go here i've been everywhere man so uh, yeah i just went everywhere bop, 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 bop. So, first five minutes out of the house, it's like, hey, it's not too bad. It's like, not as bad as I thought. Bup, 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 bup. One block, yeah, it's hot. Third block, oh, shit, it's hot. <laughs> first door, I'm like, oh, I'm sweating. Bought what I needed. Went down to the next door. Bup, 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 bup. Fuck, I'm dying. And this lady <laughs> yes. goes, I won $5 on my lottery ticket. But I want to exchange it for other lottery tickets that equal $5? I'm like, oh. I want to purchase my product. And get the fuck out of here. Yo, <laughs> it's, it's at that point where you start channeling Christopher Walken. You're like, lady, <laughs> lady, I want to get out of here. All right? You know, it's just like, 
but you couldn't do that. She had a walker. She had a lottery ticket. So I'm just dripping wet. You know, like, and the guy finally goes, what do you need? I said, well, it's kind of embarrassing. My wife looked on Facebook today and knew it was our anniversary. And I forgot. (laughs) But she goes, somebody told me it's our anniversary because they saw it on Facebook. Did you know that? I'm like, no, it's been really hot. I can't think straight. And she goes, it's because of the weather you forgot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it has. I, you know. So uh, I, I bought one of these balloons, you know, say happy. Because right. you know, my name, my hood, we don't have no nice card shops. You know, I'm sorry. And so I come back with the balloon. I'm like, I wish I could ride this home. <laughs> <laughs> Happy anniversary. I'm going to do a Van Damme show. <laughs> yes, yes. We're going to do a Van Damme show. I'll tell you, though, just off the cuff, I've been revisiting a lot of stuff lately. Uh, actually, strangely enough, at my wife's impetus, and I think I mentioned previously we were rewatching the Star Trek films, and, you know, again, I'm reassessing all this stuff. I'm like, well, these are better than I remember them being. They are so good. What, yeah. A lot of them are What good. did we see recently that's the same idea? the X-Men movies. We went back, she's like, I guess after seeing Dark Phoenix, she's like, you know what, I want to watch the old ones again. I'm like, all right. Pull them out of the closet. I haven't touched these things since they were out pretty much. And the first three, I was sort of wrong when we were talking about them during the show because I couldn't remember like what was the difference between two and three and mm-hmm. whatever the hell else. And they hold up a hell of a lot better than I remembered. Yeah, I don't like that Weapon X shit. I didn't care about Striker and all of the mm-hmm. lame-ass uh, Kelly Who character that they made up that was awful. But they didn't play as much of a part as I remembered. One and two are really decent, and in some ways, three was better and worse than the other ones, because it was a different director, obviously. Yeah, the end really got bogged down with all this horse shit with Magneto and everything else, but the first half was like, okay, you know what, this isn't so bad. Yeah, they didn't do Dark Phoenix right, but maybe they did it in some ways, on a personal level, more right than the recent Dark Phoenix movie. I mean, both of them were wrong, both of them were way the hell off, but... In some ways, I was like, okay, you know what? This isn't that bad as I remembered it. And then, of course, we went to first class, and that was fantastic. So that's uh, where we're at right yeah. now. First class. I, I, you know, first class is, is one day going to be remembered. Was that? Who was that? Was that Matthew Vaughn? Who directed, it might have been, right? It was Matthew Vaughn. Yeah. It's going to be remembered as it's like, this guy, you know, the King's Man, first class, what has Matthew Vaughn not done? He's perfect for an Avengers reboot. The like sixties Avengers, the TV show. True, he would be perfect for that. He he just gets it. He tries to put, or we could say imbue that feeling, that thing in there. That you know, this you know, ever they, I don't know, because there was a lot of people at the time. And you don't see it as much as you used to. Now that Patrick McBee has passed, you know, there used to be a lot more people talking about John Steed and you know, I'm Appeal. Now it's sporadic. But after McNeil passed, you don't see this much on, let's say, social media. But I think that that kept everything going in people's mind about that show. It's another show I need to look at again because I keep thinking about that. Although I'd probably be watching it alone in my bedroom. But uh, <laughs> but that that would be the perfect guy. Yeah. At first, you, you talking about rewatching the original Avengers? The original, yes. Yeah, we did that recently too. You did? Yeah, sure. The whole thing? 
Yeah, we went from, uh, actually we started backwards because we never had the entire Thorson run just because we both hate her so much. But I got a cheap, really cheap set off of uh, the UK that had all her stuff. So I kind of almost forced my wife to sit through it and watch the episodes we didn't see. So when we finished that, I'm like, well, why don't we just go backwards to the better stuff? So we started from scratch, from like 1961, watched through all the Venus Smith, which was, again, better than I remembered, even though she sucked. Sorry, my wife sent me something here. Oh, she's not there? She's here on the headset, so I'm doing something else. Oh, she's on the headset? Is she joining our show? No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we want the female perspective of Van Damme. Come on, get on there. <laughs> I actually invited her to, and she was actually, it's funny, because when I first mentioned I was doing a Van Damme show, usually she loves Van Damme films. I mean, she laughs at them, but she enjoys these things. When I says, okay, do you want to watch them with me? Because she was actually the one that suggested doing a Van Damme show. And she's like, no. I was like, I don't know about that. Kind of rolled her eyes, tut-tutted, and I'm like, Fine, so I started watching them, and then another day I did a whole bunch more, and then she comes back home, she's like, what, I don't get to watch any Van Damme films with you? I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, she's always welcome, she's always welcome. Oh yeah, but she doesn't like doing that kind of stuff. But anyway, the Avengers went through all this stuff with Kathy Gale, and we went through the appeal stuff, and she didn't want to go on to the uh, Joanna Lumley ones. She thinks we saw them recently, which recently might have been two and a half years ago, mm. but... Because we watch the Avengers a lot. That's Those like are good. Brand. You know, they're all good. Even, you know, the Thorsons played better than we remembered as time yes, passed. Yes, that's true. Yeah. It's true. As time goes on, they seem a little bit better than they used to be. Probably because, you know, the quality of TV and entertainment has gone so far down the toilet. Mm-hmm. They even stuff that was like, yeah, that's not so great. It's like, you know what? That was actually pretty good compared to, you know, yeah. blank and blank. Blank, blank, yeah. I tell you what, let me get a refill and then we can start the show. Sure, let's do it.